Charleston, South Carolina. Pastor Shane Willard. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Thank you very much. I love you too. <laughs> so awesome. It's, it's kind of, this whole week's kind of flown by. I was talking to Dave today. I, did, I just thought, I said, man, this thing's flown by. And so I look forward to being with you again next year. And um, we'll, uh, we'll just keep going on, pressing forward with the kingdom. I love your church. Without, without any sense of exaggeration, I do travel all over the world. And, um, and, and I can tell you, your pastor is one of the great ones in the whole world. He is. Yes, he is. You got great staff here, becomes friends of mine, Doug and Dave, and Dave's, Dave's become a great friend of mine, Steve and Allie, just, they're just great people all the way through, and um, you, you guys are very fortunate to have the church you have and the music you have, and um, trust me, <laughs> not very many people have what you have here. If you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, while you're turning there, let me just uh, get some of this, because we got a lot to do. We're going to end tonight, we cut worship a little bit short, because I want to end tonight with worship, and I can tell you before we even start that healing tonight is going to come through repentance, and I'll get to that in just a second. Um, obviously, I don't need to say much more about this unless you're here for the first time, but uh, we have a resource table at the back there, and this is how we support ourselves, and um, we have all kinds of things back there. Um, this morning's message, uh, the bowl or birthright uh, message, it's in, a, it's in a series back there called Counting the Cost. It's a four-part series on decisions, grace, and forgiveness, and uh, you need to get that inside of you. It's, it's the, this morning's message plus three more, and so you need to get that. Also, I've got a, um, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I've got some stuff back there on that kind of stuff, too. I've got a six-disc series called You Can Change, and um, if anybody picks this up and asks me what it's about, I'm going to go, what? But, like, it's You Can Change, which means it's a six-disc series on how we can change. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and, um, and so it's six-disc on that, and, and there's just some great behavior modification sort of things in there that this line of the Bible. Who would like that? I'd like to give that one away. All right, all right. Man needs to change. All right. Um, the other thing I'd like to mention is, um, is, is there's some people who've asked me, you know, Shane, how can we be a part of what you do on a regular basis? And, and we have a, a partnership program that um, I haven't mentioned at all. I, I, I kind of like leave that up to God. But I do, wanna, I do just want to mention it very, very quickly. Um, what this does is this allows us, and this gives me the freedom to do a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight. When I went to, let me tell you a story that, that happened that um, because of, of partnership, I could do this. Um, I was in South Africa recently, and the first meeting at the first place, I couldn't believe it was a men's breakfast, which you never really, it's like, if that's the first meeting at the first place, it's kind of, it's hard yards. And so, because, you know, men, men are men. And, um, and so at the end of that men's breakfast, I went back to the table like I always do, and the first six people bought the whole table, six in a row. And we ended up in that one morning at an 8 o'clock in the morning meeting, we ended up selling our whole three weeks worth of material that I brought. And uh, it was about 10000 U.S. dollars in one meeting. And, um, and because of this, 
because of the, a year ago, I can tell you, this is what I would have done. I would have went, thank you, Jesus. I can pay my mortgage and have some leftover to get myself here and home and whatnot. But because of this right here, I was able to take 100% of that and give it to the HIV AIDS orphans there. And, um, and that's because of people like you who nobody really gives a whole lot of amount, but a lot of people doing a little gives just a lot of freedom to minister the gospel. Just to give you an idea, in a room this size, if, if people just said, hey, we'll give you five bucks a month, that would do three to four crusades in Fiji or Papua New Guinea a year. That's how much that can do. So I'm going to leave it at that. If, if, you, if you were blessed by this ministry and you feel like God's tugging at your heart to say, hey, partner with, I don't want to take you away from anything else you're doing. But if, you, if you'd like to do that, we have these back there. They're available. You can come see me afterwards, and we can set that up for you. All right? All right. You guys ready for the word? All right. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Now, a couple ground rules tonight before we start this message. Ground rule number one is this, is that I am not the big guy up here who's figured this all out. That I'm just a guy who the Lord has been challenging me in this area, and it's lonely to be challenged alone. <laughs> so I'm asking you to come jump with me. It's like I'm on a trampoline or something, and I just want you to come jump with me. There's no condemnation. There's no any of that. I don't want you to hear any of that tonight. What I do want you to be is for the next few minutes, I want you to open your heart up, and I want you to listen to what I believe is the most challenging message I've ever preached in my life. Every time before I preach this message, I spend time getting myself right. Last night, as I was preparing for this, I spent time getting my heart right before I could preach this. And, and it's not me up here and you down there. This is all of us together because after you hear this message, you'll realize that none of us ever really have it all together, that we're just in a journey together. The, the other ground rule is this, is we have to have fun. <laughs> and, and the other ground rule is this, is that I've been here for two weeks. I've been here for two weeks. And with the exception of, hey, we have a product table back there and that kind of talk, you have not heard me mention money one time. Not once. I'm not a guy who travels the world and is all demanding. Matter of fact, when we gave the money to the orphanage, the leader of the orphanage said, started crying and she said, out of all the places that we could believe God to bless us for, the last place we'd think it would come is an American preacher. <laughs> and I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. You can ask anybody on staff here who's in the know. I didn't come here with any demands. Not one time have I said, hey, how's the offering going? Not one time. Not once. Not once. I didn't come here demanding anything. I, didn't come, I don't leave here demanding anything. Whatever comes in is that's what comes in, and I'm happy with it. We'll believe God. So there, there's a tendency in our heart when we start to talk about some of the things we might talk about tonight, people start shutting down and saying, oh, here's another preacher. No, 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 no. This is not about money tonight at all. This is about our hearts. And, and, and it's something that, that I'm journeying with and you're journeying with. I'm not some typical yank preacher. I'll call myself whatever y'all call it. Some typical yank preacher who's, who's all about the glitz and the glamour. I'm not like that at all. I'm just a guy who's on a journey with God with you. And I want you to join in with me. Can you do that for the next few minutes? All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let's get going. It says this. Let nothing be done through strife or vanity. But in humility of heart, let everyone consider others better than themselves. Let everyone consider others better. Consider others better. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a problem with that. We have a real problem with that. 
We have no problem saying someone's better at something than me. Someone's better. He's a better singer than me. They're a better drummer than me. He's a better guitar player than me. None of us have a problem saying someone's better at something than me. But to say somebody's better than me, now we got a problem. But Paul's yoke, when he was summarizing the way we're supposed to live, he says, consider others better. And I think in one sentence, I think in one sentence he summarizes a successful life. Like, can you imagine if we really considered others better, what that would do to stress? Half, no, 90% of the time when we get stressed out, what's it, what's it about? Other people. Well, if we consider them better, then it takes away our stress. What would it do to anxiety? What, what would it do to anger? What would happen to our anger problem if we simply could consider others better? What, what would happen to your job? What would happen with your relationship with that guy at work? You know the one that you just really believe God should just go ahead and take him to heaven? That guy? What would happen if we could consider him better? What would happen to road rage when, when someone cuts you off on the busy streets of Hastings? <laughs> this illustration works better in L.A., but what would, what would happen if someone cuts you off in traffic? Do you point your finger at the sky? Because he didn't get the memo that where you were going is actually more important than where he's going. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then you drive by him and you have a little fish on you. Like, what would happen if we consider others better? D- does the girl at KFC know you're saved even if she messes up your order? Do we consider others better? Are, are we committed to bringing heaven to earth? Or are we simply a group of people who are committed to going to heaven one day? Or are we committed to bringing heaven to earth day? What would happen to our life if we consider others better? How good would it be? Can, can you imagine a marriage where that was the case? Can you imagine a marriage where both people were committed to considering the other one better? What would happen? Like, like let me just talk blunt for a second. You wives, okay? You wives, check out, okay? What would happen? What would happen? And, and I'm going to talk to your husbands too. Just hang on. What, what would happen if you wives committed inside yourself to consider your husband better? What, what would happen if you committed inside yourself to meet his needs first, whether he deserved it or not? What would happen to your marriage? I could tell you it'd be happier and way less stress. What would happen if you met his needs first? I mean, it's pretty simple. We have like two needs. Three if you count food. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. <laughs> and, 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 and if you meet, and, and our needs, or both, both of our needs, are free. And relatively enjoyable to you. <laughs> so, what would happen if the wives considered the husband better and met his needs first? even if he didn't deserve it. What would happen to your marriage? And you husbands, what if you considered your wife better and you made a commitment to meet her needs first? She has like a hundred of them. (laughs) So what if... 
What, what, if, what if you husbands, what if you made a commitment to meet her hundred? And she makes a commitment to meet your two. I can tell you, can I just be honest with you wives, just for a man's perspective, I can tell you this. If, 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 if you meet those two needs, and I'll leave it to you to figure out what they are. If you meet those two needs consistently and predictably, that man will serve you and die for you. I mean, men, shout me down if I'm lying. Am I telling the truth, men? Everybody say. And we men, what if we could make a commitment to meet our wives' needs? If we could get in there and figure out what they are. Stuff make you go crazy. But what if we did? What if in our heart we considered the other person better? It's a summary statement of a successful life. It's a summary statement of peace in our heart. It's a summary statement of what it would mean to overcome anger. It's a summary statement of having peace in our home. It's a summary statement of a happy marriage. It's a summary statement of happy parenting. It's a, hum- it's a summary statement of being happy in our job. It's a summary statement if we could ever get to the point where we consider others better. I want to talk to you the rest of the night about two aspects of that. And it's from the most disturbing passage of Scripture that Jesus ever taught in Luke chapter 16. And there's so many scriptures tonight. If you want to flip around, you can. But I've prepared the guy back there, and they're going to put it up there on the screen. But, but this, is, this is the only time, Luke chapter 16, is the only time that Jesus used the word Hades in regards to somebody going there. There was two types of hell. The first hell was called Gehenna, and that was hell on earth. If you missed that, you need to get the tapes. There was a Gehenna hell. It was an actual place in Jerusalem. Jesus used the word hell 18 times. 15 of the 18 times was Gehenna. Gehenna was the place in 2 Chronicles 28 where they sacrificed children in fire. King Josiah in 2 Kings 23 desecrated it. And he said, we're not going to sacrifice children in fire anymore. The problem was is the land was now worthless. And so there was this place of, of, of land called Gehenna. In Jerusalem, that was worthless, so they made it to town garbage dump. And they kept the fire going, and they threw dead bodies on it that didn't afford a tomb. And and there was wolves and stuff that would scavenge for food, and they'd bite each other. So it became known as the place where the fire doesn't die, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was Gehenna. It was an actual place on earth. Fifteen of the eighteen times he used the word hell, it was Gehenna, hell on earth. Three times he used the word hell was hell in the afterlife. Hades. This is the one you really want to avoid. Hades is the one in Revelation. Death and Hades get picked up and thrown into the lake of fire. This is the eternal one. And he only used this word three times. And only one time in regards to a person going there. The other times was he said, Woe to you, Capernaum. How can you escape the condemnation of Hades? The other time was he took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was the place of worship of the goat god Pan. And the goat god Pan received worship through intimate acts with goats. And so there was this temple to the goat god Pan in Caesarea Philippi. And it was on top of this rock. And so the weight of the temple cracked the rock and it went down to the road and then cracked the road. There was this hole at the bottom. And they called it the gates of Hades. And people in Caesarea Philippi believed that if you didn't worship Pan properly, that the gates of Hades would open up and you'd be swallowed into hell. 
So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there was people around the road, around the temple of the goat god Pan, having intimate acts with goats in order to keep Pan from swallowing them up into the gates of hell. Jesus took his disciples there. And he stood over the gates of hell and he said, upon this rock we can build a church and not even the gates of Hades will prevail against it. So woe to you Capernaum. The gates of hell will not prevail against them. And he only used the word Hades one other time. Once. Just one other time. And it's the only time regarding a person going there. So you think that if Jesus only talked about a person going to hell one time, it's really worth investigating. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man who was customarily clothed in purple and fine linen and making merry and luxury every day. So there's this guy, and he's dressing every day like only special people get to dress once or twice, seven times a year. And it happened that the beggar... Oh, sorry. Ooh. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, but even the dogs licked his wounds. And it happened that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich one also died but was buried. And in hell, Hades, there it is. It's the only time Jesus used that word Hades in terms of somebody going there. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm tormented in the flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, there's a great chasm fixed between you and us so that they desiring to pass from here to you cannot nor can you pass from here to us. And he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one should go back from the dead, then they would repent. And he said, and he said if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if one raises from the dead. What an odd story. It's Jesus totally breaking his mode of operanda. It's Jesus totally breaking the way he normally does things. He's actually using the word Hades instead of Gehenna. That was breaking the mold. He's actually using the word Hades in terms of somebody going there. His disciples, anybody standing there who knew his teachings would be going, that's the first. That's the first. He starts the parable by saying, there's a certain rich man. There's a certain rich man. Now, how many of you know enough about Jesus' teachings to know when he starts a parable by saying there's a certain rich man, it's not going to end good? And it's very easy for us to read over that. It's very easy for us to say, oh, well, it's a rich man. I'm not rich. No, 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 no. We're all rich. If you drove here tonight, you're in the richest 8% of the whole world. If you have two cars, you're in the richest 1.5% of the whole world. And if you have two cars and a house, you're in the richest 0.5% of the whole world. We are the rich man. The rich man is us. This isn't a parable about a certain rich man and Lazarus and Abraham. This is a parable about me and about you and about our basic attitude toward other people. And so the beggar gets laid 
at the rich man's gate. Why? Because people figured the rich man could help him. The beggar was so helpless, he could not keep dogs from licking his wounds. But the rich man made a decision on earth, and that decision was this. I am better than him. I do not have to engage that problem. I'm better than him. And he kept Lazarus outside of his framework, outside of a gate. So the rich man on earth isolated and elevated. He made himself better. He did not consider Lazarus better. Rather, he considered himself better. He thought he was better than Lazarus. And because he thought he was better than Lazarus, he didn't have to engage a beggar who could not keep dogs from licking his sores. And so in the afterlife, the Bible says this, that what you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. And so the rich man who made hell on earth happen for the, for, for the beggar, he ends up in torment in the afterlife. It, on, earth, the beggar, the, on, on earth, the rich man chose isolation and elevation. He chose isolation and elevation. But in the afterlife, God gave him exactly what he chose on earth, which was isolation and elevation. He became the center of his whole universe. And that is called Hades. That's called hell. Hell, to a Hebrew person, is a place with no boundaries. It's a place where you can treat me any way you want, and I don't have anything I can say about it. Hell is a place of isolation. It's a place of torment. In this story, hell is a place of isolation and torment, where heaven is a place of feasting and fellowship. To be at Abraham's side is a Hebrew euphemism for feasting, because they leaned on each other's side to eat. So, so on earth, Lazarus cannot keep dogs from licking his wounds. But, but in, in, in the afterlife, he's feasting and having a party in heaven with Abraham. But, but, but on earth, the rich man had his feasting and his partying and his fine linen. He had his two cars, a boat, and a house. He had those things. But in hell, he was isolated and he was tormented. That is the basis of the story. And then there's this interesting dialogue between Abraham and the rich man. The rich man looks up and he notices Abraham and he notices Lazarus. And he, and he makes this series of requests and he says, hey, no, 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 no. There's this great chasm. Abraham says, there's this great chasm that exists between me and you so that people from here can't go to there as if that was a problem. In other words, enough heaven, let's go fry. <laughs> and people from you can't come to us. There's this great chasm, which is weird. It doesn't make any sense for a couple reasons. Number one, what kind of great chasm exists that you can talk across? And what kind of great chasm exists that you can recognize the face of somebody on the other side? Like, how big is this chasm? It can't be that big. It, it's not big enough to where Abraham can't say, I mean, where the rich man can't say, hey, I think that's Abraham. I've seen pictures. And... Hey, there's the beggar. I, I remember the beggar. He, he was laid at my gate. Hey, it's Abraham and the beggar. And there's this great chasm. And then there's this conversation that ensues. And this conversation makes absolutely no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Like there's, there's, there's all of this weird stuff happening. So my first question is, is what was the chasm? Because the focal point of the whole story is this chasm. Like we can't get to you and you can't get to us. What is this chasm? And what sort of chasm is it that you can have a normal conversation across? And what sort of chasm is it that you can recognize the face of someone on the other side? And the clue to what the chasm is is found in the rich man's requests. His first request was what? Have Lazarus dip his finger in water 
and come stick it on my tongue. Which is an odd request, isn't it? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody on fire? It's a bit more erratic than that, isn't it? Like a, a more, a more uh, explainable request would have been something like this. Help! Put me out! Something like that. But to make a request for somebody to put one drop of water on his tongue, it makes no sense. Why? He's on fire. First of all, it wouldn't solve his problem. He'd still be on fire. And second of all, it wouldn't help at all. One drop of water on your tongue's not going to help. What is this about? What is this about? And how does this give us a clue as to what the great chasm is? Well, the bottom line is this. Is on earth, the rich man's problem was he thought he was better than the beggar. He thought, I don't have to engage that. I'm better than him. He is in hell now. The only time Jesus used the word Hades in terms of somebody going there. He is in hell and he still thinks he's better than the beggar. He's in hell. He's on fire. This man is on fire and he's still saying, Abraham, that beggar beside you, send him to hell to serve me. That's his place. In other words, let me say it this way. I don't care that what decisions I'm making is going to cause that man to come to hell. It doesn't matter. Send him to hell to serve me. This man's on fire and he still thinks he's better than the beggar. He still doesn't get it. Finally, for the first time in the beggar's life, Abraham, somebody stands up for him. And Abraham says, no, it doesn't work that way. We're not doing that. So what was the rich man's second request? His second request was, okay then, then send him back to earth to serve my family. Now how's that going to work out for Lazarus? Lazarus lived in hell on earth far too long. Couldn't keep dogs from licking his wounds. And now the rich man is on fire and he's suggesting that Lazarus be sent back to earth to serve him. Once again, I don't care how the decisions I'm making affects him. Send him back to earth to serve me. This man is on fire, and he still doesn't get it. So finally, Abraham stands up for him again. And then finally, he argues with Abraham. And he says, no, Father Abraham. That's not how it works. Let me tell you how it works. How are you going to argue with Father Abraham? The man has his own song. (laughs) Kids all over the world today singing it. Hmm. Plus, in this story, who appears to be in charge? Abraham. Abraham appears to be in charge, and he's arguing with the guy in charge. Listen, this guy on earth thought he was better than everybody. He didn't have to engage the cry of the hopeless because he was better than that. And in hell, he still, his heart still hasn't changed. He's on fire, and he's still making requests that makes Lazarus serve him. He still thinks he's better. His heart is still full of pride, and it's still full of greed. Those two things. It's still full of pride, where he puts himself first, and it's still full of greed, where he isn't generous. He still wants Lazarus to come to hell to serve him. See, on the surface, this story on earth, this story, it appears that the poor man needs the rich man's help. 
They, they, they lay him at his gate. And it appears the, the poor man needs the rich man's help. But the reality of it is, is that the rich man needs the poor man's help. The, the, the poor man needed the rich man to feed his stomach, but the rich man needed the poor man to humble his heart. Yeah. And the rich man responds very poorly, which cost him an eternity. This is a story all about our tendency to be selfish. This is a story all about our tendency to be greedy. This is a story all about what the Hebrew people called the Yetzer Hurrah, our evil inclination, our inclination to put ourselves first. Do you realize the only person in Jesus' whole ministry, the only person in Jesus' whole ministry that Jesus talked about going to Hades was this guy. And Jesus' ministry was full of sinners. I'm talking about people caught in the act of adultery, thieves on a cross, people who murdered him by nailing him to a cross, a woman who was divorced five times and shacked up with the sixth one. All kinds of evil, nasty stuff was going on. And this is the only guy that Jesus thought was worthy of Hades? The only person in Jesus' whole ministry that did something so unspeakably heinous that God killed him was the guy who built bigger barns? He had more than enough food, and instead of sharing it with the hungry, he built bigger barns for himself. And Jesus said, that's it. God's going to kill you tonight. Like, this is serious, serious stuff. Greed was people who say, people who say, oh, there's no big sins and no small sins. Hey, that's true in terms of consequences, and that's true in terms of ramifications, and that's true in terms of heaven and, you know, like, like being saved. Like, it only takes a small a bit of uncleanness to send, you, to send you away from the presence of God. That's all true about that. But in terms of the sin that leads to every other sin, it was greed. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. The number one sin to Jesus was greed. And this is all a story about putting yourself first and being greedy and the ramifications of that in eternity. This is all a story and a challenge from Jesus to us to, to look at our heart and examine our heart and say this, who are we in the story? When Jesus starts a story, there's a certain rich man, it never ends good. Which is kind of disconcerting. There's one place in the Bible that Jesus said it is impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. Which is disconcerting, isn't it? Because we're rich. It's kind of hard to deal with. So I asked the Lord about it. I spent some time with the Lord on this. And the Lord asked me, who's the richest man in that story? There's three characters in the story. The rich man, Lazarus, and Abraham. Who's the richest guy there? Abraham, by far. Abraham, by far. And Abraham makes it. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Shane, I am always against rich men, but I am always for wealthy stewards. God is not looking to make rich men. God is looking to make a nation of wealthy stewards who use their money as God would have them use it for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Mm. Yeah. God would want every one of us in this room to be so wealthy that other nations would call us blessed. But it's not wealth for our sake. It's not wealth so we can build bigger barns. It's wealth so we can take care of people who can't take care of themselves. Yeah. And you might think the poor people need you. No. You and I need them. Yes, we do. So I want to spend the rest of tonight just looking through a bunch of scriptures. I'm going to read through a bunch of scriptures. They're going to put them up there. And I just want us to ask ourselves, where are we with this tonight? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 and 10. 
Once again, you don't need to flip because if you, if, if you get flipping it, it'll, it'll, it'll cost us a lot of time. They're going to just put it there. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. So, so when God was designing the Hebrew people's way of doing finances, every field was a square. Every field was a square. And he says, when you reap your field, don't reap the corners, reap a circle. So in other words, if your whole life is a square, only live on a circle. Give the corners away. I, I asked a mathematician, I said, if you put a circle in the middle of a square, if you put a circle in the middle of a square, what percentage is that? He didn't even blink. He said 79%. 79%. And it has something to do with the ratio of pi to something. I don't know. Anyway, really doesn't matter. <laughs> so he knew what he was talking about. 79%. And it was amazing to me because I have a whole series back there on the Jewish way of doing money. And if you look at the Jewish way of doing money, they have certain offerings that they give. And if you add it all up, it's 79%. It's 21%. So it's, it, and, and part of that is to yourself, by the way. So, so in other words, God built into them this attitude. And you say, well, circle, square, what's all that about? Listen, forget all that. Just remember this. God set it into their culture into their mind, into their hearts, that when you think about your life, you put other people first. You put other people first. Not because they need you, but because you actually need them. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17 and 18 it says this, do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there and that is why I command you to do this. Once again, generosity. And it's not generosity because the poor people need it. It's gen God could rain down gold from heaven for the poor if he wanted to. It's not generosity because the poor people need it. It's generosity because we need it. There's something that happens inside of us when we take care of somebody who can do nothing for us in return that reminds us in our heart that God did something for me when I didn't deserve it. And that is priceless. That is priceless. In Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, this is God talking, and he says, woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees and describes who write lies. Those who turn aside the needy from judgment and steal the right from the poor of my people. That widows may be their prey and they rob orphans. Woe to them. Generosity or greed. In Luke chapter 3 verse 7 through 15, there's this guy, his name's John the Baptist. And, and he has no people skills. He eats locusts. He eats bugs. This man eats bugs and doesn't shave and dips, dips, los, dip, dips locusts in honey. If CNN and the internet would have been around back then, he'd have been like the weirdo with the beardo guy. <laughs> Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 15. There was this group of people who came out to be baptized by him. And this is how he responds. And John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That's not really how you grow a church, is it? These people are coming out to be ministered to by him. And he says, You basket of snakes! Who has warned you to flee the coming wrath? You fatherless people. 
He's calling them fatherless. There's a bad word for that. It starts with a B. Not really the best thing to call somebody. It, get, it gets worse. The axe has already fallen at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. This guy is a Pentecostal pastor on speed. Now, that whole rant, you fatherless people, you basket of snakes, you brood of vipers, the axe has already fallen at the root of the tree, and every one of you are going to be thrown into fire and burned. What do you think the sin was? You'd think the sin was idolatry, adultery, child sacrifice, burning people, something heinous, something horrible. What do you think the sin was? That whole big thing, what do you think the sin was? This is what he says. What should we do then, the crowd asked. In other words, you're really wound up. What do you want us to do? What do we do then, the crowd asked. And John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one with food should do the same. It's generosity. That whole rant was about having more than we need and not taking care of people who don't have enough. Generosity. Generosity. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 through 10. I won't read that. There's just a cool story there where there's this man named Zacchaeus. And he's a tax collector. He's a a bit of a shyster. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And he's so moved by the compassion of Jesus that he says, hey, here and now, I'll give half of what I have to the poor. And Jesus said, that's it. Salvation has come to your house now. It's generosity. It's generosity. In James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, James 1, 26 and 27, it says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Generosity. Generosity. In, in the book of Luke, Chapter 11, there's this awesome, awesome teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 34 and following. He says this, the light of the body is the eye, which is a Hebrew reference for generosity. In first century Hebrew culture, if you said that someone had an eye full of light, it meant that the yetzer tov, it meant they were generous. If you said somebody had an eye of evil, it was called yetzer hurrah, that meant they were selfish or greedy. Okay, so, so, so the phrase, don't give me the evil eye, its root is found in don't be greedy with me, don't be stingy with me. And so he says, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is full of light, then the whole body is full of light. But when your eye is dark, then your whole body is dark. In other words, if you're generous, then it gives light to the whole body. If you're greedy, then it, it corrupts the whole body. Therefore, take heed that the light in you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the shining of the lamp enlightens you. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and he went in and reclined. So Jesus is doing this whole thing about light eyes and dark eyes, and and, and the Pharisee says, can I talk about that with you? And when the Pharisee saw it, he was amazed that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and platter clean, but the inside is full of greed and wickedness. Greed and wickedness. You fool, did not he who made the outside of the cup also make the inside? Then Jesus gives him the solution in the next verse. 
but begin to give alms of all such things as you have to the poor, and behold, all things will be made clean for you. Generosity. Generosity. So Jesus is telling this guy, become generous and your life will be clean. Become generous. Why? Because there's something about a regenerated heart that when it manifests itself in putting other people first, everything else just seems to fall in place. Everything else just seems to fall in place. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 25 to 31. Acts chapter 10, 25 to 31. This is a story of the start of the Gentile church. You're actually here tonight because of this. God, God chooses this guy named Cornelius to lead the Gentile church. And Cornelius um, was a, a Roman centurion, which meant that he had publicly proclaimed that Caesar is God. And, and this odd thing happens when Peter shows up at his house, Cornelius bows down to Peter. So here's a man who has publicly proclaimed that Caesar is God, and he didn't know it wasn't right to worship a man. Would you want him to be your pastor? Mm-hmm. Yet God chooses him to start the whole Gentile church. Now watch what he says. Acts 10, 25 to 31. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up, for I am only a man. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius asked, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and your generosity to the poor has went up to him as a remembrance. Generosity. Here's a man who'd proclaimed Caesar as God and didn't know it wasn't right to worship Peter, and God was remembering him because of his generosity to the poor. Generosity. Generosity. It's all about greed or generosity. It was all about greed or generosity to Jesus. And you follow this all the way through from the Old Testament, from Leviticus 19, all the way to Revelation. It's about generosity or greed. So, so, so let, me, let me ask you a couple questions to apply this as we close out tonight. Let me just ask you a few application questions. It is not my place to tell you where you are. It's my place to ask. And then you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Number one, what have we isolated ourselves from? Let me ask that question a different way. Where is there hell on earth that we've chosen not to deal with? even though we could. Second question, who is in our life right now that we could bring heaven to hell for? Who in your life right now could we bring heaven to hell for? It could start in your home. Maybe your husband needs a little heaven brought to him. Maybe your wife needs a little heaven brought to her. Maybe your children, maybe your co-workers, maybe your neighbors. And then we could spread out who in your life right now could we put first? Number three, here's a difficult question. Who in our life right now do we really think we're better than them? Is there anybody in our life right now that we think we're better than they are and we actually think they should serve us? 
Number four, where in our lives do we have clean outsides but greedy insides? Only you know that. Only you can examine your heart with that. Where in our lives do we have clean outsides but greedy insides? Number six, who are we oppressing by our apathy? See, if I just ask the question, who are we oppressing? People might say, well, nobody. But wait a minute, who are we oppressing by our apathy? When's the last time you saw something that you knew you had the money in the bank to do something about it, but you turned your back so that you could say to your soul, soul, have peace of mind. When's the last time that you saw something, you knew you could do something about it, but you turned your back on it, and therefore you become the oppressor by apathy? Where have we done that? Where have we done that? And number seven, can we be honest about who is oppressing us? What's our slave driver? What's bringing hell to earth for me? I, I have one more application question, but I want to let Jesus ask it because um, you can't get mad at him because he died for you. And it's in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is Jesus' last words. They're Jesus' last words. And Matthew 23, 24, 25, if you go back and read it, understanding, like Matthew 26, verse 1 or 2 says something like this, and Jesus knew the time for his betrayal was at hand. In other words, Jesus knew that it was his last go. And Matthew 25 is his last public sermon. Like after Matthew 25, you got like a pass, you got a betrayal. You, well, you got a Passover, then you have a betrayal, then you have a false trial, then you have a real trial, then you have a beating, then you have a crucifixion, then you have a resurrection. Okay? But Matthew 25 is his last words. This is his last go. And if you read Matthew 23, 24, 25, it's like a Gatlin gun. It's like Jesus is under so much pressure. He knows the weight of the world is fixing to be put on him. And he's trying to get all these words out. And he's like, oh, um, there's like this fig tree. And if you're going to be a fig tree, be one that bears fruit. Because a fruitless fig tree gets cut down. And, and oh, and I'm going to come back on a day that no man knows the day of the hour of. And oh, at the end of the times, there's going to be all these wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. And oh, and, and there's this guy and he had talents and he made more more talents for the kingdom of God. He became a wealthy steward and that's great. There's this other guy who had talents and he hoarded it to himself and he buried it in the sand and that guy was cast out into outer darkness. And oh, there's this and oh, there's that and there's oh, oh, and this and, and ooh and, and that. And he's trying to get all of this stuff off of his chest. And then he ends it with this. This is the end of his sermon. This is, the, this is his last words to everybody. And, and here's what he's doing. He's saying, at the end of the age, I'm going to judge the whole world, and this is how I'm going to do it. He's letting everybody in on how he's going to judge the world. Pretty important. And watch what he says. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit on the throne of his glory. So this is obviously talking about at the end. And all the nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them one from the other, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And indeed, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And the king shall say to those on his right, which by the way, when you're standing in front of Jesus one day, that's where you want to be. When you stand in front of Jesus one day, move to your left. 
Kind of inch your way that way. Then the king shall say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he says, hey guys, you guys on the right, come on in. It's been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Why? Watch what he says. For, in other words, this is why. For, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Now watch the heart of the righteous. Then the righteous shall say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? In other words, they're going, we didn't know you were there. We didn't know. We didn't know that, that by putting other people first, we didn't know you were there. We didn't know that you were the hungry guy or the sick guy or the naked guy or the guy in prison. We didn't know that. Where were you? We didn't know you were there. We were just doing it because it was the right thing to do. We were just doing it because it was the right thing to do to put other people first. Watch what Jesus says to them. And the king shall answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Then he shall say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's the lake of fire. Not Gehenna, not Hades, the lake of fire. Death and Hades get picked up and thrown into the lake of fire. He says, to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, it was never my will for you to go there. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And this is why they get sent there. Four, when I was hungry, you gave me no food. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was a stranger, you did not take me in. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. When I was sick in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he shall answer them saying, truly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it for the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now here's the end of his sermon. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. And he ends it. And he goes off and has Passover. So let me ask you a question tonight. Search your own heart. Search your own heart. Don't think about anybody else. Just search your own heart. It's the most powerful question I'll ever ask you. Before or since or in the future, this is the most powerful question I could ask you, and that is this. If you had to face Jesus today, based on this passage, would you be on the right or would you be on the left? Let's pray together. And Lord, you're the best. And um, we're so challenged and moved The Lord, the Lord spoke to me last night about this particular sermon, and he told me, I don't want anybody leaving or anything. He told me that healing would come in repentance. And, and, and if you've been paying attention tonight, no one within the sound of my voice could possibly think that we have all this together. 
As a matter of fact, if anybody is thinking, yeah, I've arrived at this, actually that's evidence that you haven't. That healing would come in repentance. And so for those of us here tonight who are walking with God, we would say Jesus Christ is our Savior. I want to give you a moment with God that you need and I need. And that moment is to repent. It's to repent for all the places in our life where we don't put other people first. It's to repent for the times in our life where we're the rich man who could meet the need of somebody else, but yet we choose not to. And it's not that we don't have it, it's just we just choose not to. It's a time for repentance for all of us who instead of living on a circle in a square, we live on our whole square and wonder why God isn't blessing us. It's a repenting for a greedy heart. For a heart that doesn't put other people first. And so you go and you do that with God. Like just right there where you're sitting, you Go there in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit and you have a repenting moment with God. We all need that. But while you're doing that, I'd, I'd like to talk to those of you who might say, I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't know that, if, I don't, I don't know that I've ever made a decision to even make Jesus the Lord of my life. I don't know that I've ever made that decision to, to, to make him in charge of, of, of what I'm doing. And I need to make that decision tonight. I need to cross the line and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Is there anybody here, while everybody else is doing their work, is there anybody here who'd say, Shane, please pray for me. I'd like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life tonight. Please pray for me. I want to pray for you right where you're sitting. Is there anybody at all? Would you just lift your hand right now and let me know that, that I, need, I need to make that decision. I see you over there to the right. That is fantastic. That is great, man. Is there anyone who joined him and say, I see you over there on the left. That is fantastic. Is there anybody else who'd say, Shane, I see you way back there. Man, way back there. That's good. Is there anybody else who'd say, Shane, please pray for me. I, I need to make that decision. I need to make that decision. That one. I see you way back there. Yeah. Yep. Is there anybody else who joined those four? Say, Shane, please pray for me. I got to get this thing straight. This has got to get straight tonight. Anybody else at all? Very quickly. I'm just going to scan the place one last time. Anybody else at all? Last time I'm asking. Very good. Would you four who raised your hand, would you look up here at me? Two of you are on the front row, which is, which is really good. And then there's one right there, one back there. Would you, would you make your way up here, please? Come, both of all of you, all four of you, come, come. And right there somewhere, come, come. I want to talk to you. Come down here, please. Yep, very good, very good. Did you raise your hand too? Oh, right. Yeah, this is just a fantastic thing. Come step over here. I, I won't bite you, I promise. Just step right over here. Step right here, please. This is a great decision you made tonight. And God's so happy with you and everybody here is happy for you. It's one of the few decisions you'll ever make in your life that everybody agrees with. <laughs> so like enjoy the moment. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and um. I just want to pray a prayer with you and, and I want these people to pray it with you. And, and while you're praying it, we're going to one-up it in ourselves. We're going to re-up this kind of commitment in ourselves. But this is your prayer, your moment, your time. 
And I want everybody to pray this prayer out loud after me with some Napier Hastings gusto, okay? Ready? It goes like this. My Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for me. I confess that I'm a sinner. I have no hope of saving myself. But you, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal my heart. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Now, there's some people behind you. Who's gonna, this guy right here, he's going he's gonna to walk you right out this way. All right, so if you just follow him that way, and, um, and that'll be fantastic. We'll be right here when you get back because we're going to be here for a second. All right? Very good. For the rest of us, I, I'm going to walk us through a moment of repentance. That if you need to get in on it, you just need to get in on it. Which I think would be most of us. As a matter of fact, we've been sitting long enough. If you say, Shane, I, I need to just get in on this moment with God and get my heart straight in this area. I need to start putting other people first. I want you to stand to your feet and let's get in on this together. Let's just get in on this together. No, nobody... Nobody needs to be leaving or anything. Grissom gets the bad guy. It's okay. All right? Now, Lord, I just, we just step into that place that is you, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God. And we, we feel your grace, Lord. We feel your grace to present a message like this to us, to let us know what is really important to you. Lord, forgive us for making the main thing not the main thing. And just right there, what I want you to do right now is just right there under your breath, just between you and God. Everybody be doing it, so don't worry about it. Just right there between you and God, I want you to begin to cry out to God. I want you to begin to tell God and repent for your heart. Only you know where your heart is. I want you to begin to turn from this tendency in all of us to not put other people first. And however you want to say it to God, I want you to say it to God in your way, that you're repenting and you're returning to His way to live. And His way to live is to put other people first. So let's do this together. Now, Lord, we repent. Yes, we repent, Lord. Forgive me for my evil heart. Forgive me for that tendency inside of myself to put myself first. Forgive me for the evil inside of me, God, the greed, the selfishness that, that, that tends to want things my own way. Lord, help me see the opportunities that you've put in front of me to bring heaven to earth for people. May I be a person who puts other people first. May I be a minister of the kingdom of heaven. I repent for my wicked ways, Lord. I repent for that side of me that always wants to serve myself. And Lord, I commit to being you, to a world that needs you. To be a generous, kind compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love person who meets the needs of others first. May I not be the rich man, but yet be a wealthy steward. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I call on that word you gave me that healing would come to repentance. And Lord, across this room tonight, as true repentance has taken place, wherever there was true repentance, I pray that healing would come. 
peace would come, wholeness would come, healing would come to bodies, healing would come to minds, peace would come into homes. Lord, for every place that repentance comes, I pray that right now for every husband that made the decision to put their wife first, for every wife that made the decision to put their husband first, for every couple who made the decision to take care of the poor and lonely and widows and aliens, for every person where true repentance comes, I pray in those homes peace would come. I speak and proclaim over those homes peace that when these married couples go home tonight and put each other first, that it would be, it would be, it would be reinforced with peace and, 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 and sanity and, 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 and peace where there was chaos before. I pray that, that this serenity and prosperity would come over this whole place, not to make rich men, but to be wealthy stewards, to put other people first, blessed to be a blessing in Jesus' name. Lord, we are your people. We are your people. Kingdom people. And we truly repent for the greed in our heart. Would you seal this decision in us? Seal this decision in us. Seal it in us, Lord. May we be generous for the rest of our lives. And when we, when we stammer back, may we pick up the cross again and go forward to bring heaven to earth for other people. Lord, you're the best. You're the best. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you a couple of instructions. Number one, I knew that the Lord would bring healing and repentance, and I really feel like where true repentance came into this place. I feel like that. I felt the presence of the Lord come in this place, and I think that we can seal that by celebrating and praising. Don't anybody leave that what we're fixing to do, we cut praise and worship short so we could do this at the end. And I don't want you to play none of that slow stuff. I ain't into all that airy-fairy stuff. I want, I want y'all to, to, to do that stuff that, that you were doing when you were turning in circles. And, and, and man, I want you to hit the drums as hard as you've hit them. I want to I I think that Neil Pert is on the stage. And some people are going, Neil Pert? Neil who? Who's this? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn the service back over to Pastor Doug. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to take an offering. And let me tell you what this is going to be. This is going to be our chance. Anytime you hear the word, you always have a chance to respond. Let me tell you something. The cure for greed is not prayer. The cure for greed is writing a check. The cure for greed is releasing money. It's releasing it. This is all going to go to something great to help us go all over the world. But it's bigger than that. We don't need, we don't need this. The poor people don't need us. We need them. And so we're going to give tonight as a response to the word of God. And then we're going to turn it over and we're going to cut loose, man. And I want you to know that God loves you. He thinks you're a champion. He thinks that you're the apple of his eye. He believes in you so much more than you believe in him. Thank you so much for letting me be your guest for two weeks. You've been such a gracious host. I look forward to coming back anytime. God bless you real good. I'll turn the service back over now.